0: Welcome to the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. This is John Halsman checking in with you for our weekly look at how the world works or doesn't. One of the things that really fascinates me about political risk and what I do is how people ignore problems, which often then go septic. This is a lot as is true in personal relationships. Things continue along dysfunctionally until they don't. And political risk is a lot like that. In Iran is a problem that you could argue has continued along since the 1979 Iranian Revolution ousted the Shah and brought the Islamic Republic to power which has always been a revolutionary power determined to upend the Middle East and the United States as the outside ordering power has never really known what to do with Iran and has gyrated from one extreme to the other while Iran continues along trying to subvert the present order And really, that has happened through one thing and another since 1979. But quite dramatically, and I I mentioned this in a recent vlog that I did for my friends at España, but I wanted to follow up and and give you more depth on this. There have been two theories of the case as to what to do about the Middle East, um, given the very different temperaments and administrations of Barack Obama and Donald Trump. But they start, oddly enough, from the same position. Both Obama and Trump say the Middle East has largely been a fool's errand for the United States where it's invested way too much time, blood, treasure, resources and effort and gotten almost nothing back from it. And as the Indo-Pacific is where it's at, where most of the world's future risk and most of the world's future reward and economic growth are located, we would be insane to continue to spend time and effort on a Middle East of decreasing value to the United States. And this is particularly true because of the shale revolution in America, where America went from being an energy mendicant, a beggar, to being one of the largest producers of oil and natural gas in the world through the use of shale. Um, And this has dramatically changed America's energy situation, meaning that we didn't have to worry so much about the Middle East, a volatile region, to put it mildly, and more about our own domestic production, Canada and Mexico, which although Mexico is a political risk, is a much smaller political risk than the almost ever tumultuous Middle East. And so both sides begin with the view the Middle East has been a fool's errand, the graveyard of American presidencies, uh, where very little has gotten done, which is of decreasing interest to the United States in terms of its national interests, and is a sideshow deflecting us from what does matter, which of course is the Indo-Pacific. So they start from the same position, the Obama team, uh, and this this view has been uh, you know readopted by the Biden administration, who kind of reactionarily have readopted Obama's old policy, is to say for the United States to do less in the Middle East to pivot to the Indo-Pacific, it has to establish an organic balance of power among the five great powers in the Middle East, and these would be Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Turkey, and Iran. And the only way to do that would be, in the words of John Le Carre to bring Iran in from the cold, to stop treating Iran as a pariah state, as persona non grata in the region, trying to isolate it from the rest of the world through diplomatic isolation and sanctions, but to bring it in, and that eventually there would be a self-regulating balance of power amidst these five great powers, and the United States could be primarily an offshore balancer, only intervening if one side or the other upended this organic balance of power. But the United States could take a step back as Iran rejoined this regional balance of power. And this really was the elegant basis to Obama's plan for the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, which was the nuclear accord between the West and the United States and Iran. And the accord basically said that it would be agnostic about the ultimate definition of iran's nuclear ambitions but the united states would lessen punitive sanctions on iran and in return iran would allow u.n inspections of its nuclear program would agree not to enrich to 20 percent or a breakout number where it could quickly produce a bomb and that these pro- projections would hold until 2025 or 2030 the unspoken bet the Obama people were making was, look, let's kick the can down the road about Iran's nuclear ambitions, hope that in the interim, Iran moderates its behavior by being brought back in from the cold. It becomes less threatening to its neighbors in the United States. And because of this, it will not even try for a nuclear weapon by 2025 or 2030. And then we've actually solved the problem, letting time and engagement work its course. And this was the Obama view. Well, Donald Trump, hating almost everything Obama, comes in with an alternate theory of the case. And his theory is, look, you're just appeasing the Iranians. You're just going to give money to a bunch of people who are still dedicated to overturning stability in the Middle East, who remain a revolutionary power, not because of anything the United States has done or hasn't done, but because that's the nature of the regime you're dealing with and has been so since 1979. You're merely appeasing a revolutionary power which is idiotic, giving them more wherewithal. And the Trump people would point to the fact that despite signing JCPOA, Iran was strategically on the march in the region through its use of proxies in the Shia Crescent. Iran sponsors the Houthis um, in Yemen, uh, the Iraqi government, which is dominated by Shia. uh, The Iranians are Shia, as opposed to the Saudis, who are Sunni. Uh Lebanon was dominated by Hezbollah, another Shia affiliated group, and Syria, where the Alawis were affiliated to the Shia and also a client of Iran. So in Syria, Lebanon, Yemen, and Iraq, the Shia Crescent of Iran continued regardless of JCPOA so you're merely funding people attempting to subvert the present order which of course favors the United States that the way forward to pivot away from the Middle East is to absolutely isolate Iran see it as a revolutionary power and work with the other Great four powers particularly Saudi Arabia and Israel doing more and more with them trying to draw them together diplomatically And the the outreach for this was the Abram Accords, which the Saudis winked through, allowing Israel to establish diplomatic relations rather startlingly with the UAE, with Morocco and with Sudan. None of this could have happened without the Saudis winking and nodding and allowing this to go forward. And so this de facto Israeli-Saudi alliance was becoming more and more of a reality that the U.S. should put all its bingo chips with the Saudis and the Israelis and let them watch the, the Iranians only in becoming involved if somehow Iran escaped the thumb of the Saudis and the Israelis in terms of regional competition and America should abrogate the JCPOA of Obama, reimpose punitive sanctions and drive the Iranians to their knees so that they were only preoccupied domestically and would have far less money and time for adventurism. And these were the two theories of the case as to how to deal with the Middle East. And crucially, both of them revolved around Iran. And to some extent, both of them have been disproven by time and empirical reality. First, the the Trump people were wrong in that cowing Iran by reimposing sanctions um, and abrogating the JCPOA did not stop its adventurism in the region, even though the sanctions have really bitten and have hurt the Iranian people in, to a great extent. That instead, Iran went on with its adventurism as though none of this had happened. And in fact, it reinforced hardliners in the Iranian government who said, JCOP, JCPOA is a fool's errand, and we should get on with fighting the great American Satan anyway. So the predicted cowing of Iran by imposing sanctions certainly didn't work at least in the short run from the trump perspective nor did the alliance of saudi arabia and israel stop iran because iran assumed that they were allied anyway and the drawing them closer together merely confirmed iran's the reality of how the iranian elite look at things but on the other hand biden has quickly seen that you simply can't go back to the past and count on things working because neither has the Obama bet paid off under Biden. The bet that somehow Iran would moderate its behavior or that somehow it's Trump's fault that it didn't, actually, Iran's adventurism predates Trump by a good deal, and that the Shia crescent in Iran being on the strategic march occurred after JCPOA, during the Obama administration. So again, empirically, this didn't work either. And in fact... There have been worse results coming out, that Iran has trundled along in its revolutionary way, as it has really since 1979. And this must be apparent to all but the biggest Biden-Obama cheerleader. At the moment, hardliners control absolutely every lever of government. There isn't Hatami in place who's supposedly a moderate, that we're always on the elusive search for Iranian moderates, and we tend not to find them. At the moment, Iran is dominated in its, the Majlis, which is its parliament, is dominated by hardliners. It has just elected an Ibrahim Rahisi, a new Iranian president who is the most hardline president in Iranian history. This man was known as the Hangman of Tehran because during Iran's revolutionary period, he was a particularly zealous prosecutor who spent his time sending as many people as he could to the gallows. This is, as I said in the vlog, like saying Saint-Just and Robespierre are somehow moderates, and it doesn't pass the laugh test. Risi, worst of all, is perhaps being groomed to be the new supreme leader. So it doesn't look like Iran is not only not moderating, but it's becoming even more hardline. And of course, the supreme leader of Iran, Grand Ayatollah Khomeini, is anything but a moderate, virulently anti-American, virulently implacable, virulently anti-Israeli. This is a guy intent on going his own way. And so while the Americans have argued about these competing theories of the case as to what to do in the Middle East, with differences on Iran being the the sticking point, the reality is since 1979, this has continued, that Iran just trundles along in its revolutionary way. But beyond becoming more hardline, there is even more worrying news afoot, which is that Iran has survived. The truly onerous Trump sanctions, which despite not getting the the go ahead with other European allies, have really ground the Iranian economy to dust and have put the Iranian people on their knees. But we now have the price of oil skyrocketing, which, of course, is Iran's go-to key ingredient in its economy so the price of oil is skyrocketing which gives iran some room to breathe economically and worse iran has done a strategic deal with china which is now buying up as much of its of iranian oil as it can whatever the u.n says china is going to do this its resource hungry it needs iranian oil it agrees with iran and that it wants to upend american dominance in the middle east and so this is a marriage made frankly in hades but it will continue And Iran now has higher oil prices, and in China, a long-term outlet and strategic ally, both for its economy and its strategic needs. So Iran finds itself, after both the Obama and Trump efforts to change its behavior, in a much better position than it's been in a very long time. And so Iran is not cowed by all that's happening, but seems likely to move ahead. And this is an example of a problem that has festered now for decades, There have been a number of efforts, as I've said, both the Obama and Trump plans are elegant, both make sense internally, and yet neither has worked. Worse, Iran is now on the march, given its new alliance with China, both strategically and with the price of oil rising economically. And as a more hardline entity, dominate every lever of Iranian government that has been seen in memory, we now have to worry that Iran is going to indeed jump out of its nuclear straitjacket. And already it was doing this. Iran is is enriching uranium to 20% in defiance of JCPOA, which, of course, Trump abrogated. So Iran said all bets are off. Um, And it has a whole bunch of unused nuclear material, more than it should, according to JCPOA. And Biden assumed kind of naively, that once he came to power and that bad old Donald Trump was gone, that Iran would be happy to re-enter JCPOA on the old conditions. And this has absolutely not been proven to be true. Iran, seeing the outlet of China, seeing the rising prices, not trusting America after Trump to live up to the terms of JCPOA, has continued along its merry way, enriching to 20%, hedging, not fully breaking out, Uh, to go for a nuclear dash for a weapon, but not living within the confines of JCPOA either. Even if JCPOA were to be reenacted, one wonders about sunset clauses that run out sometime in 2025 or 2030. Certainly given the very narrow time frame now that we're in 2021, it is beyond unlikely that Iran moderates its behavior in, say, the next four years. So this problem has gone absolutely septic at the same time the government of Naftali Bennett in Israel which was thought to be ramshackle has has shown surprising staying power the Bennett government which is of the most disparate political coalition you can imagine was put in for one reason and one reason only to end the long reign of Bibi Netanyahu finally enough of his enemies gathered together To force Netanyahu into the opposition. And this government, ramshackle as it looked, has so far proven surprisingly durable. And on the issue of Iran and Iranian adventurism, the government is utterly unified. From Benny Gantz, the defense minister, through to Yair Lapid, the man who set up the coalition, through to Naftali Bennett, who was prime minister, at present, ahead of Lapid taking over in a couple of years, has been the deal. All of them are unified that Iran needs watching. And the Bennett people have played a very interesting game moving forward. Rather than doing what Netanyahu did and just repudiating JCPOA, Israel has taken the view that JCO, JCPOA is unlikely to be reenacted by the Iranians. So instead of being against something that's not going to happen and looking obstructionist, Israel has played a very clever game and said to Biden's people, look, we support you. If you can get Iran back into JCPOA, we'll consider not finding this objectionable, knowing that it won't be reenacted, knowing that this will fail, knowing that Iran as a problem is going septic, waiting patiently for everything to go wrong. And at the end of everything going wrong, they will then move into the United States and say, look, we tried it your way. We've given diplomacy a chance, and absolutely nothing has happened. And so now it's time to consider sterner measures, including a bombing of Iran. And I want to repeat that. Israel is playing the game that it doesn't believe JCPOA will be reenacted because of Iranian intransigence. And following this, it intends to put pressure on the Americans, saying, We tried it your way and that failed and now it's time to mow the lawn, to knock down the Iranian nuclear program via bombing. This is one of the great unexploded political risk time bombs out there, that because nothing has happened for so many years, because people have said so often as in The Boy Who Cries Wolf that the wolf is at the door, remember the end of that fairy tale. The wolf actually showed up and ate everything in sight. No one believed the boy because he'd merely warned about it so many times. Iran is a political risk time bomb precisely because it's gone septic. The the Israelis are playing a much more shrewd game. Biden is flailing about as his back to the future Obama plan fails to work. And Iran trundles along in its revolutionary power path. This is a problem that bears watching in the next couple of years of the Biden administration because when things continue on despite all facts to the contrary eventually they do indeed stop and we're nearing this point with Iran there will come a moment when JCPOA is, is abrogated when it's obvious this won't go along and this will be the moment when Iran will either decide to hedge and stay at 20% keeping tensions on a low simmer or it will break out and try for a bomb. In either event, watch Israel, because the Israelis can confidently go to the Americans. They don't really care what the Europeans think. Again, being snubbed at cocktail parties is something the Israelis can live with. And go to the Americans and say, we tried it your way, that failed. Now it's time to deal with Iran militarily. And that will be the moment of supreme political risk danger. But because we've warned about this, many of us in the past, doesn't mean it's not going to happen this time. Iran is one of the three or four unexploded political risk time bombs out there, and we need to start thinking through a way to head off this catastrophe. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this Around the World in 20 Minutes, talking about one of the great unexploded political risk time bombs out there, Iran, as it continues along its merry way in a revolutionary power aspect, despite everyone's best efforts in the West to stop this. Um, something's gotta give really as Johnny Mercer put it for those of you who haven't subscribed please do hit the subscribe button I'm delighted so many of you have things are going great with Substack and I'm honored by that and we will continue to do more and more of these as the response has been simply overwhelming and for those of you who have subscribed please do give the $7 a month or $70 a year Starbucks fee of our subscription that we're asking uh Substack works on an honor system. This gets us around middlemen, newspapers, editors so I can give you the unvarnished political risk truth with nothing in between me and the listeners. And the only way this wonderful system works is if those of you who like The Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast, those of you who like the Patrick Henry podcast, those of you who like the book serializations give this Starbucks amount, $70 a year, $7 a month makes all the difference to us continuing to give you this unvarnished and direct. Substack is the future, and please be part of that. Thanks ever so much, and on to the next.